Winston Churchill once said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Get ready to be inspired. This is the Big Fish Cares Podcast. Big Fish Cares Podcast. Whether it's business, life, financial, relationships, we're sharing stories and journeys to help inspire you to be optimistic and to take action. No matter the hurdle in life, you can do it, and we're here to help. Welcome to the Big Fish Cares Podcast, and here's your host, Benny Fisher. Everyone knows that I've been doing this summer series where I've been interviewing some of my friends that I've met in the V Friends community, and today's no different. I have a special guest, David Matheny, with us, better known, though, in the NFT world and on Twitter as Danger Dave. What's going on, Danger Dave? Everybody, thank you for the invitation and being here, and uh, I'm excited to be able to talk about NFTs and what's going on in the world. Yeah, man, it's uh, VCon was a special place, and I know that's where me and you got to really connect. You know, I knew we we talked a little bit in uh, Discord and Twitter, but when you actually get to put like real life faces and bodies and tone and language and all that together in a room, it's really got an impact. And I know, I know we had some good conversations at the uh, the satellite event, uh, Salvador Guardia satellite event. And I still have some of that content. Uh, but why don't we tell the viewers at home a little bit about who you are? Um, just start from the beginning. Like, where were you born? How'd you grow up? Just give us a little backstory. All right. Yeah, sure. Um, my name is obviously David Matheny. I was born in West Virginia, Fairmont, West Virginia, a small town up in the mountains. And uh, we moved to uh, Florida, Orlando, Florida, when I was eight years old. Uh, dad and family were coal miners back in West Virginia, and uh, we moved to Florida for opportunity in, I think that was like 1989 or so, so did that, and that was an amazing move for our family. We uh, were able to establish economic growth there, and uh, the educational systems for me and my sister were great. Um, so really put us on a path to really do some cool things later on in life. Um, so West Virginia is cool because, you know, I'm here in Pittsburgh, so I have a lot of listeners um, that are going to be more Pittsburgh, southwestern Pennsylvania. Maybe there's some people in West Virginia. So now you're now you're getting really close to home now. Um, talk about that move. When- yeah, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. We got to I got to say a little shout out to Pittsburgh. I'm all the way back to uh, my father when I was a kid took me to Three Rivers Stadium. So that, that, that's how far we go back with Pittsburgh, the, uh, the old Pirates and the Steelers and the uh, did you Penguins. Go, so, uh, did you go to all the games? Did you go to a Pirates game and a Steelers game? Or were you only there once? Did you go there a bunch of times? I went a couple of times as a kid, uh, but that was mostly the Pirates games, though. And that was back in the day with the Bobby Bonilla and the... Uh, the, the yeah, Barry that was, Bonds. That was when Barry Andy Bonds was, 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 was know, a skinny dude, remember? The... the yeah, yeah, real skinny, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, completely, completely back in the day. But yeah, yeah, that that we go way back there. Because we're we're probably how old are you? I am forty two, and I'm, I'll be forty one this year. So we're the same same generation. So that's awesome. What was it like for you um, to like you know pick up and move from where you're comfortable at and, you know, in West Virginia and the country and the mountains and, and, and say, well, we're going to Orlando, Florida. What was that like <laughs> as an eight year old, uh, to experience that? 
You know, that's the thing. I was at a good age for that kind of transition. I was young enough to where, you know, my friendships and relationships, I was able to transition without too much, you know, pain and heartache. You know, you still have those relationships, but at that age, you definitely can tr transition a little bit easier. So, uh, and you know, going from West Virginia to Florida, you know, when you get there and you get the pools and the ocean and the lakes, uh, you know, there's a lot of fun new beginnings that we never got to experience. So that that kind of helped the transition ease in a little bit. What? Um, so your dad was a coal miner. Um, did your mom work? Yeah, she uh, was at a factory. Was um, was assembly line doing like light bulbs with Westinghouse and uh, hate hated her job. I mean, just hated it. And uh, so both of them, you know, they were very hard workers, but just the economics there just really wasn't, you know, providing them the income that they wanted. So they tried and tried and tried. And just when it really wouldn't go together after the coal mines laid off and then, you know, tried like UPS and different things. Uh, my, f my mother's parents moved down to Orlando. So they decided, you know, since we have an established relationship there, let's take a chance. And it worked out exactly like they wanted it. Within a couple of months, he was able to get a, uh, a commercial electrician's license job. And, uh, you know, they just built from the bottom up. You know, he started from the base as an electrician and ended up basically the head of OUC lighting division at the end. So worked from the, from the bottom to the top. And uh, same with my mom. She went there and always had a dream of being a teacher. So in her 30s, she went back to school graduated from UCF while taking care of kids and a wife and a husband and uh, was also at the same time even doing substitute teaching. Um, so then after that got her degree and then was able to get right into teaching which was kind of her dream job in second grade um, and she just really thrived in that. So you know it was just two people that they needed the opportunities and once the opportunities were there they were able to really thrive and it really changed my whole family's trajectory and and you know put me and my sister on a completely different i was path. just getting ready to ask you did you have any siblings so tell us a little bit about your sister is she older younger uh, a little bit younger five years younger than me so uh yep three so she don't even know us yeah no she doesn't even remember that no, you got the pictures, you know how it is. You look back in the snow and stuff, but yeah, the memories aren't there. Right. She just remembers Mickey Mouse and uh, <laughs> there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. What was your the pools. Uh, Yeah, did what was your I mean Disney World? Like when was the first time you ever made it to Disney World? You know, I can't even remember the first time, but growing up in Orlando, it was kind of like especially back in the day, we always found ways to get free tickets. Whether it was, you know, you knew somebody that worked there or I remember there was times we would volunteer with the Boy Scouts and get free tickets. And there was, I mean, one time we volunteered and I was uh, actually on the stage there at Epcot on July 4th with uh, Lee Greenwood and uh, Sandy Patty doing the whole song and was there with the uh, first uh, President Bush. Uh, so that was kind of a cool thing. But it was back in the day when we could do things or know people and we would always end up getting some kind of free tickets. So, you know, we didn't always end up there once or twice a year or something. And, you know, there was just always ways to kind of do it back in the day. I always wonder because, you know, it's always a mystique for us people that don't live in Florida, right? It's like, oh, that's like the, you know, for a kid, it's like, oh, that's like the Taj Mahal. But when you live in Orlando, you eat, sleep, and breathe it. It's just, they jam it down your throat, I'm sure. Everything you drive by, traffic this, traffic that, Mickey Mouse everywhere. Does it is it still just as magical or does it lose a little bit of its muster? 
Yeah, I mean, for us, the good part was is um, if you look at Orlando, it's a pretty big city, and uh, Disney World is kind of in the southwest corner, and we were in the northeast corner. So, I mean, for us to even get to Disney World was about a 45-minute hour drive. I would buy so, on a random Tuesday and, like, you know. Exactly, exactly. And so it was kind of like they had that whole tourist corridor down there. And, you know, we were kind of, you know, in the local environment with suburbia life. And they just keep, I mean, I'm sure, I don't know the whole history of Orlando, but it just keeps growing and growing. There's more, you know, it's like the theme park capital of the world. And they just, you know, like universal. And I know I just took my son, Sammy, who's eight coincidentally uh i took him on a little guys trip where me and him went to legoland for a day and then we nice. went to universal <laughs> for a day and you know yeah. legoland was a little bit of a letdown compared to universal but that's why i did legoland first sure and then <laughs> there you go <laughs> you know because he's at that age now or he's almost like too old for legoland you know especially now that he's seen universal right, he'll sure. probably never want to go back to legoland <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that's cool man growing up in orlando so tell me about you know high school tell me about did you go to college tell me about what that that trajectory looked like and uh what you got yourself into there yeah went uh you know grew up in orlando basically so finished out my elementary uh, middle and high school there graduated from winter park high school um an amazing school an amazing area um really 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 good program um and then went on and we did a little bit of uh, community college just to kind of see what was going on Took a little bit of time off, and then that's when I went to film school. So did uh, Full Sail University there, uh, got my degree in film and video, and that kind of uh, put me on that trajectory to get into the uh, television and film world as a career. What prompted that? Any anything? Any inspiration when you were young? Is that something you've always wanted to do when you like you know you know when you were ten years old? Did you want to start doing that? What prompted that? No, it really wasn't. It really wasn't. It was you know you you get into college and you're trying to figure out careers and what you want to do and you know I'm looking around at a lot of different things here and there, and one of the things was trying to figure out a career that would also longevity be kind of fun, you know, and so. Um, there was a local film school in Winter Park called Full Sail, and a friend of mine was doing a tour of it. And so I, I got on that tour because, uh, you know, I was interested in that anyways. And um, by doing all that, I was just blown away by this the equipment and the programs and everything. So that kind of then just started me on a, on a deep rabbit hole that I'm still in today. <laughs> 42 and still in the rabbit hole. That's a pretty, that's, yeah, but that's a yeah, fun yeah. and exciting, you know, rabbit hole to be in because, you know, a lot of yeah. us, especially again in the Midwest, you know, we get stuck in our ways. We get, you know, our, our parents just say, go get a job, you know, go get something stable. You know, your parents were from that era. You know, what was it like when you told yep. your mom and dad that you wanted to go to film school? And like, you know, we're talking about a coal miner turned into a commercial electrician, which, you know, still very hardworking trades type of mentality. What was that like when they said little Davey wants to go be a filmmaker? You know, I am very lucky that I have two amazing supportive parents. Um, but you could tell that, yeah, they, it wasn't probably their first choice. They would have definitely something, uh, you know, a little bit more of a stable occupation with a with a better risk reward of the future. Um, but you know, they supported me and they want me to be happy. And, and that's the way I looked at it. I said, you know, I've got to figure out some way to earn money. And, and out of all the ways to earn money, I said, this looks like a kind of a pretty fun and enjoyable way to do it. And, um, you know, it's turned out that way. I've definitely had a really good time along the way. And, uh, 
Yeah, yeah. So yeah, graduated. I think it was two thousand and one. Uh, 2001 there at film school in Orlando. Uh, worked a couple months at freelance, did some, you know, just some universal pet, uh, pet Olympic type gigs here and there. And then got on actually with a local TV station in Orlando. It was uh, back in the day, a WB affiliate, WB18. But yeah, got my foot in the door there. And um, it was just kind of a perfect scenario because they were doing this brand new technology there and so they were they were you know basically pioneering this new technology so i almost accidentally just kind of got my foot in the right place at the right time and um, started learning this technology and realized quickly like this is where the entire industry is going um, so i knew if i could have some experience in it i then would have experience that nobody else had and uh, that's exactly what I did after a good 12, 14 months there. I started looking around at other places and uh, NBC in Miami was doing the same thing. They were trying to pioneer this technology. Um, so considering that there was nobody with any, any experience, somebody coming with any experience, they were very, very happy to uh, be able to use my expertise. And so, yeah. 23 years old, I packed up my bags and moved to South Beach, Miami, and uh, yeah, started a Miami life for six years <laughs> with um, NBC. So it's kind of interesting, full circle, like now that, you know, both of me and you are both into NFTs, and that's the new technology, and 20 years ago, you're like, oh, in the new technology, what was this technology in film? Do you, you know, and keep it and keep it, you know, for the people yeah. at home, you know, don't get too, don't get, don't get too technical. <laughs> you know? No, it's really easy. Basically, the, the couple areas that we pioneered was, one, we took um, all of the way that we played out video and TV from, uh, from a video tape to servers. So we went you know, from all kinds of different tapes, different size tapes, to hard drives that obviously everybody knows now. But back then, to have that size you know, was unheard of. Um, and then with that, we added two more components. Um, at that time, the only way to transmit video any type of way was with satellite. And so at this time, we started having fiber optic cable that had large enough bandwidth that we could stream or that we could send live video. So the way that we were sending and receiving video changed from satellites to fiber optic, the way we were playing video changed from tapes to servers. And then lastly, how the videos were played out of each station changed as when it used to be there would be one group of people at each station and they would control basically how everything played out. And we change it over to automation with computer systems that the computer systems would play it out to where instead of one group of people, we could run 10, 20, 30 or more TDV stations with one group of people from one location using automation. So that was what we really pioneered was those three things. And then also later on, uh, the moving from SD over to HD. Oh, that's, uh, I mean, that's kind of cool when you think about like the history of TV, film, movies, all that stuff from all the way in the early 1900s, right? Full circle, 100 years later. Here it is. Our, 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 we know him as Danger Dave was out there being a pioneer. Now, how does that all, like, were you more... So you're a behind the scenes kind of guy with like the whole TV film. Like when you got into college and you went there, 
uh, for film, like what was your vision of like what you wanted to do before you got there? Like, and did it change as you kind of learned about the industry? You know, um, for me in school, I kind of always wanted to be in production, being on set, kind of being producer type stuff. Um, but then when you got out of college, you know, it was, I needed a paycheck and my foot in the door. So, um, and if you come out to, yeah, if you come out to Hollywood, you know, you're probably going to be making coffee and working for free for five years. So it, it's a long road. Um, and that local TV station, Orlando, because of this new technology, they were expanded and they needed more bodies. Um, and, you know, they were people that w just graduating from film school. We actually had the experience they were looking for. So it was just kind of a perfect timing there with graduation and this new technology and being in the right place of just being in Orlando where there was this group of people pioneering this. So, I mean, like, so we have like, you know, Hollywood, everybody knows Hollywood, right? That's where everything became famous. We have New York where, you know, they do a lot more TV in New York, right? Lots of movies in Hollywood. And then you have Orlando, right? It's, I'm assuming, and again, I'm making a lot of assumptions here because I'm not in the space like you are, but, you know, there's theme parks, Universal's there, you know, it's, there's got to be more production than, you know, West Virginia or Pittsburgh, I can tell you that. Yeah, I mean, definitely more than there. They tried to ramp it up in the beginning with Nickelodeon and things, but it didn't work out that well. So, mo yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, they used to, down there at Universal, you could go and see live tapings back in the day. Okay, yeah, um, so it was actually like a but, studio, kind of like what they do out in what you see in yeah. Hollywood. They were trying anyway, right? But most of that, if it's not in L.A. or New York, you know, a lot of it now is in Atlanta. There's a lot there in Atlanta. I mean, huge there. And, um, I mean, there's definitely still some in Orlando, but it's not nearly the size of, of any of the other markets. Able to, you know, obviously cut your teeth, you know, do whatever jobs you have yes. to do, figure it out just to survive. And then I'm assuming, you know, when you told the parents that, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of Orlando, I'm heading to South Beach. What was, what was that conversation like with? Uh... Oh, they were very proud because, I mean, at that point, I was now going to go work for NBC, GE. And, you know, we were the, the we had the largest stations in the market. Um, we were the O&O &O company. I was also with Telemundo. Um and, you know, at that point, being 23, um, you know, the salary definitely didn't match most 23-year-olds. So they were just really happy that, you know, within a, within a year and a half from graduation that I was already successful and doing well. So, you know, of course, mom doesn't want to lose her baby, but yeah. three and a half hours away, you yeah. can still drive it. Oh, it's not it's that like, bad. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Yes, yes. Yep. Yeah, Mr. it was perfect for your 20s because you got both of those worlds. You had that space, but yeah, yeah you could still, you needed, you needed a little home cooking. It was there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. But that's what I mean was, you know, it, but it, you were still far enough. You could still hit the Hollywood, the holidays and, you, you know, the different different occasions that's awesome so talk to me about the journey from you know like what's some of the, like cool stuff that you did in those early in your early 20s um production wise things that you got to see people you got to meet tell us some stories oh man um yeah i mean that was amazing time in miami because we had a news studio there so we had people come in for the news uh broadcast plus we had an hour morning show 
So there was always different celebrities rolling through and different activities. Um, but I'll tell you, what was really cool was just being in the environment. You know, I, I was at that age. I'm living in South Beach. I'm working with NBC. And it was just, it was a really fun, cool time. Um, you know, everybody was happy. Life was good. We were living on the beach. Um, and yeah, I mean, we that time we got to, let's see, I did three Olympic Games. So broadcasted three Olympic Games. Like, I think it was like Athens, Greece, uh, maybe Singapore, and then something else. And then I actually got to go to London for six weeks for that Olympic Games. So that was fun. Yeah, 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 I think that was it. So yeah, some of those in there. Um, and did, I mean, I did every sporting event you can imagine from NHL to NBA to, you know, the baseball and, and all the big wins from, you know, the World Series to the Super Bowl to the, you know, any, any just any of them. And, and what's interesting is it's kind of like um, when Broadway actors, you know, they talk about the difference of being on live stage versus, you know, being a tape recorded. It's a lot of like that even in TV world where, you know, when things are live, the pressure and the hype is so much bigger. So when you're doing these major things of like, say, even the Super Bowl and, you know, 30 seconds is millions of dollars. It's really interesting to see, you know, how professional and how good people are and and just, you know, where they really separate the people. Um, so it's, it's kind of an amazing experience to be part of. Here is, it sounds awesome. So here's a little fun fact about me that probably a lot of our listeners, definitely I know you don't know. I'd say most of the people are about, even that know me don't know this. When I grew up, when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old, I was a big sports fan, right? Baseball. I grew up in Canton, Ohio, um, and I was a big Cleveland Indians fan. That was during the 90s, right? And when the World Series would come on, I really love Bob Costas, and we all know that Bob Costas was a big NBC guy, you know, Olympics, World Series, just about anything was happening in sports, Bob Costas was doing it, and I always thought to myself, like, I want to be like Bob Costas when I grow up, and then, you know, then John Madden was, like, popular, and I was like, yeah, like, I, that's me, like, I'm not an athlete, nobody's ever going to mistake me for an athlete, um, but I like always wanted to be like that guy. But then like when I got to finally I got to high school and I realized, you know, like, you know, all right, everybody's pressuring me to go to college. And I guarantee you, if I like tell them I want to go to college to be a broadcaster, everybody's going to laugh at me. And, you know, even if I do go to college and make it through the four years of sitting still and listening and taking the test, then there's still like a really, really long shot of me becoming Bob Costas. I mean, at the time, like the, there's probably only like, <laughs> 10, like celebrity sportscasters. You know, this is before the age of social media, right. the internet and all this stuff. You know, there's like three networks, right? CB, CBS, NBC, Fox, I feel like, uh, ABC, right. know, so four networks. And like, but that was my dream. And then how I kind of satiated that a little bit is my church. I went to this big church in Canton, Ohio called Camp Baptist Temple. And they had like a uh, five camera live uh, feed. Somehow they did set something up with the local station. And uh, Jonathan Wilson was a member of the church. And he was, and his brother David Wilson um, was in some like TV production. I can't remember exactly all the stuff that he did, but 
on Sundays, man, they ran it like, you know, a mini version of like what you're talking about. And I remember being the cameraman and they had remote control cameras. This is back in like the late nineties. So like, I'm like a, like happy. I mean, this is like fun stuff where right? I get to go in their production room. They're still editing tape on one inch reels. And like I had yeah. producers, I had a headset <laughs> on like this. I'm like working the joystick. And of course, cause I was a kid, you know, video games. Like I love that part. And all the old guys, this was new technology. And they were like, you know, they let me do it. And I got to hear, Oh, take this guy. We're going to this <laughs> camera. Hey Ben, zoom in over here. I will go get the choir shot. Like it was fun, man. Like it was exhilarating. It was awesome. And I put that on the back burner for so many years because I just realized, I don't know, I guess, I guess I gave up on my dreams because I assumed the world told me I couldn't do it or like it just wasn't possible because I didn't see like what I see now, obviously. And now here I am. I got my own equipment in here. I got my own little sound. I can do, I can shoot my own content. You saw some of the stuff that I was doing. <laughs> like I'm in my glory days, just creating my own content and I'm having a lot That's of fun. Awesome. But guys like you are like, you guys did it for a career. You're doing it for a career and like you've done it for a long time. And that's so cool, man. Like, I just wanted, I just, I felt like I was led to share that. Cause I was, that's a cool thing. Especially when you say NBC. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny. You say that how many people got kind of their cut their teeth at the church video equipment, right? Because that's it's true. It's where a lot of people got that exposure. And it started before the internet because, you know, they were trying to, to, to beam them on the big screens. But then once they added the internet, then they're trying to then send them out. But I know so many people that that was their introduction and they got the taste of it just like you. And, and, and you hit the nail on the head. That live thing, it's just, it's so exhilarating. Just play. <laughs> And I remember like, you know, I remember being there for a rehearsal and we would rehearse the camera angles and the movements and when the choir is going to do this and when the actors were going to do this and when the manger scene was over there and like there's all this stuff happening and we have all the scripts and everything. And I was like, and, you know, and again, you just like if, if I don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Right. Like, and it's like, like, if I, if I, like, I can't screw this up. But we took it yeah. super serious and I, I always had a passion for it and I was always kind of sad like when it kind of like when I then like you know flew the coop and then like not stopped going to church as much and didn't wasn't involved and I always missed it and I remember my first introduction introduction to anything TV and broadcast wise and it's funny that you said your mom was a teacher was there was a Al, Al Rizzoletti Mr. Rizzoletti in I think sixth grade I was at Pfeiffer Middle School and they were starting a video department and we had this program called channel one whittle i don't know if you ever remember if you had that when you were in school because we're the same age it was national anderson well anderson cooper would come like video TV, product it was a program that they sold like they, they it was a program that they sold like school ah. systems to like put tvs and then like they used this channel one and it was called whittle and you can look it up but i remember anderson cooper was actually that was when he was like in college and that was like his, one of his first things that he was ever he ever did and there was a couple other um you know people that made it in broadcasting that actually started on this little you know thing where they were broadcasting the kids schools and then because we had all that equipment then the school was able to then like try to make their own yep. content and i remember i was behind the scenes for that and i remember learning how to edit yep. videos um, back then on like, you know, these big honky decks and you put the two VHSs in and you'd have mixers and stuff. And, you know, and that's you know, <laughs> little Benny Fisher's, uh, thing. And it was just always stuck there. And then, then I got so busy working and then building my business the last seven, eight years. And it's just like, 
I, I tried to do a little social media here and there with Facebook Live and stuff. But over the past six months, because of the NFT space and because of Gary V, which we're, we become friends through, I've been able to kind of get that back now. And I feel like so energized because I'm like trying to finally turn my pa passion nice. into maybe somewhat, you know, I'm trying to figure out how if I can turn it into a profession. You know, uh, people know me as a successful contractor, but at the end of the day, I'm all about building experiences, right? And I want to circle back to you about like, where did you where did you go from like Miami and then to what you're doing now and and, and tell me about how tell me about that journey because now you have a you have a you have a you have a family right yeah that's a heck of a tale and I'll definitely try to give you the Reader's Digest version um, so in uh, 09, um NBC basically they outsourced um, all of their uh, departments that were doing operations so it was everything that was owned and owned in miami new york and la and so they outsourced it to a third-party company um so they basically closed down all of those divisions and i could have either gone to work for one of these other companies or new york or la um but i always had a dream of traveling the world and i knew that if i didn't take this chance that you know the next job i'd probably be at until i retired so at 29, I decided to uh, travel the world. And uh, I had about three or four months until I had to leave. So um, I went to Africa for 10 weeks and did a trip there, volunteer trip in Zambia, uh, another one in Haiti, and that was about a year after the earthquake. Um, and then I had about two or three months of free time. So got my real estate license and uh, sold three houses in Orlando. Um, and that was after the 08 crash. So you could have done that in a worse time, but I had a couple months to kill. So, you know, nothing to do. And, uh, yeah, so sold three houses and, um, then packed up and went to Costa Rica and spent the next three years traveling the world. Uh, went to 25 plus countries on five of the seven continents. Uh, the first year did a year's worth of university level studies uh, mostly humanity, humanitarian type studies uh, and community building. Um, and then did another year where I led university groups around the world um, and, and we would take the students so they could take their, uh, their, the information they learned and put it to practical use in the field. Um, so yeah, we did that and uh, traveled all over. Yeah, please. <laughs> trying to picture this in my head um so you still don't obviously you haven't you haven't had the fa the family hasn't come into the picture yet correct nope not yet all right so how does someone in their what are you towards your late 20s i've been uh, 29 yeah, yeah so your late 20s you know nbc is like yeah you want to go venture the world did you just have enough money saved up to where like you're just like screw it i'm just gonna like get outside because there's not that many people that i know that just like just like blow up like everything and say, Oh, I'm just going to go travel. Like what was the, was there a it's a combination. I mean, the purpose was I've always dreamed of doing it. And I knew if I didn't do it, then I would never be able to do it because the responsibility would have gotten away. And I remember when I was younger, there was somebody that told me a saying that I thought was interesting. And I found it very to be true is you will never regret traveling. And so that kind of always stuck with me. And I always wanted to travel the world, but never had the chance. And so I felt like this was my chance. And if I didn't, you know, who knows if I'd honestly get another one just the way career and life goes. And so it was just kind of like, 
you know, now or never. And I just was like, you know what? Screw it now. Let's do this. And uh, yeah, it was a combination of savings, um, you know, money even from those houses. Any side hustles while um, you're out I, traveling the world? I mean, were you able to you, like... You couldn't even understand. So I had uh, one, I had, I was actually collecting unemployment. So I had that also um, with my... Right. And I also had a severance package. So had that and that. And then that was after the 08 uh, debacle. So I actually ended up getting that extended. So that helped that. Um, and then I also, because I had been doing this since I was about 16 years old, I had a network of sponsors that I would do um, short-term trips on. But it was just a network that I'd been you know, built for probably at least 15 plus years. Um, so I reached out and built that up and, you know, built that also. Tell me more about um, what that means. And like then like you said, network of sponsors, like what, like basically I, I was, I've grown up in the church. Um, my family, I was grown up in the Methodist church. Now I'm in the non-denominational world, but, uh, growing up in the Methodist church and, you know, just started when I was probably 10, 11, 12, that kind of young age doing the, you know, going on a Saturday feeding the homeless or going to the soup kitchen or or you know, handing out blankets or just different things locally, and then and then in high school I would start to do these things, but we would go to other states, right? Maybe during the summer for maybe a like, couple like days. Like little or a week. youth trip, like and youth then, group trips. Yeah, I grew exactly. Up, listen, I grew up in a exactly. church, church, you know, very similar. <laughs> and then we did a yeah. couple mission trips, and well, and then that's where when I was sixteen, my first one was international. That's when I went to Costa Rica. So, you know, then we started doing more and more. Well, and, and it just, it, it, it developed a, a passion of mine and it was a heart of mine of just, I really understood what it meant to, to give of yourself and to help others and to, to what you got in return when you really truly changed somebody's life. Um, so that really changed me and it, it got me on a path that I wanted to do that more and more. So people, you would, when you say sponsors, so yeah, so I grow that network and I would, we would, we would, we would go for like a week at a time and we would send out lots and lots of letters to people that we had relationships and would ask for donations to do these different things. Right. Well, and I had, exactly, exactly. And so, and you know, we're not going on vacation. So, you know, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, I remember going to the Yucatan in Merida. Yes. And I did that back-to-back -back years in 2001 and 2002, I think, or 2000 and 2001. And I remember thinking, like, and again, we stayed at a decent hotel. It wasn't like we were in the villages. and like, But we went to the villages, and we passed out tracks. And I remember um, I had my little camcorder that my mom bought me for graduation. So I was a filmmaker, you know what I mean? And, but those are memories that, like... <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll never ever forget, yeah. and I'm I'm assuming that's it's probably led to some different things in my life. So it sounds like it's definitely led to a big part of who you are. Oh yeah, no, exactly. So that shaped me, and that you know, and just built that network over you know years and years, and if not decades, and then you know reached out to that you know, and, and, and you know with email and things, you know, we had contact lists that we started to curate. And then in real estate, you know, so I reached out to these people, but there were people that I had long lasting relationships with myself, my parents, my family. Um, so then when I came to them with this idea of doing this for a longer term, you know, they knew my heart and my character and it wasn't just a, oh, hey, we just met you kind of a thing. Um, 
So yeah, I mean, with you know, just many different streams of income, and then I also while I was there, I was um, selling tickets on the side also. I was because the internet, I was buying and selling concert tickets, sporting event tickets, Olympic tickets, you name it, I was flipping it. So you were like an online <laughs> scalper. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I ticket scalped for five to seven years. You're like StubHub before the StubHub. I was StubHub before the StubHub, and then I was StubHub during the StubHub, both. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I did that all the way up until a couple years ago when the market just came out because StubHub and Ticketmaster basically took over the entire secondary market themselves. So then it, it made it not any profitable anymore. And so that's when I, I switched more into clothing at that time, high-end clothing. Um, and then, you know... Oh yeah, I've flipped high-end clothing for a while. Like, give me some you know, examples. Brands. This is so interesting. Uh, off-white, off-white, anything off-white. Uh, shoes, sneakerheads, um, uh, Fear God, Jerry Lorenzo. Um, you know, just anything that's supply and demand, right? It's like a, a, a flipper's supply and demand. And so, if you learn how market dynamics work, you can do it in any field, right? I can do it in tickets. I can do it in clothing. Now I'm doing it in NFTs. It's the same thing. It's the, there's no different. It's just, you know, understanding how these different markets work. And when you can play one of the games, you can play so most of the games. As we record this, the market's at the bottom. You're probably buying it all up. You're probably sco scooping and scooping and scooping. Not yet, because we are not at the bottom yet. And this is not financial advice. So I am not scooping yet. Um, but I do know that there is going to be a nice bottom soon and then you know that's when i'll start dollar cost averaging and uh you know make sure that i find that bottom nicely so tell me some of the coolest places that you got to go so it's like you're almost like a missionary without like a, a like a, a final destination like a lot of missionaries that we know that like they raise support then they go like spend you know their whole life in the country and they have like a you know they try to build a church you wanted to kind of like you know bounce around and kind of go help out where you could uh, yeah, I was, uh, my main base was in Costa Rica. And at the time I was with a group called YWAM. It's called Youth with a Mission. It's probably one of the second or third largest uh, organizations in the world. So they're pretty big. Um, but so basically what I would do is I would do about three months in Costa Rica. Um, you know, whether it was in San Jose or different parts of the country. And then I would do two months and travel the world. Um, and so I did a lot of time in uh, South America, uh, Central America, Europe, you know, just kind of all over. But that was kind of the caveat. I would do three months in Costa Rica, two months around the world, uh, come back home maybe for two weeks and then do it all over again. And did that cycle at least four or five times. That's awesome. So what made you get back in, uh, we'll call it civilian life. Did you ever get back to civilian life? Um, you know, well, that's when, um, you know, I decided to kind of transition. And then that's when I ended up moving to New Zealand. So I lived in New Zealand for about five months and uh, was going to do some TV work there, but just ran into certain visa issues and uh, basically ended up wanting to come back to the States, looked at New York and L.A. And because of the weather, I decided, L.A., here we come. And uh, so, yeah, moved to L.A. about, I think it was about eight years ago now. So when you so. were, that's awesome. So. When you were in New Zealand, I think I might have told you this at VCon. The only thing I know about New Zealand is, yeah, it's the island uh, northeast of uh, Australia. And it's definitely its own country. It's not part of Australia. They get offended if you say that, right? <laughs> um, and 
and they have an amazing rugby team. Uh, and you're a sports guy. All so blacks. Did, did you did you get to all go any, Did you get to go to any all black games? Uh, I, you know what? I didn't go to a game, but it is. It, it's amazing how the entire country gets behind that team and that sport. And uh, I did a couple different um, pubs, you know, being in different pubs and bars during a game. And yeah, I'm not sure if any even soccer, international soccer team kind of rivals the All Blacks when you're in New Zealand. It's it's it, between uh, rugby and yacht racing. It's kind of like they're... They're their thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, I read a book called Legacy, and it's 15 lessons in leadership, and it has to do with uh, a gentleman who went to go witness um, what the All Blacks did. You know, as a as a team, you know, this is, they're like the Yankees or the Patriots of like what we think of of greatness in sports, right. but they're even greater. They have like a winning percentage of like 850 or something. Like we're talking lifetime. <laughs> we're talking over decades, uh, and the things that those guys do. Uh, one of the things that struck me in that book was, you know, the superstar players aren't like the superstars that we think of in America. These guys are actually sweeping the locker rooms out. Um, they call it sweeping the sheds and they're doing the little things to make them great. And, you know, there's a um, there's lots of parallels right in life and in business. And I just thought I'd share that with the audience because that book changed my life. That was the book that. That was the first book I actually ever read outside of like, you know, when I was in school, like high school or, you know, I don't even know if I read book in high school, maybe like when I was a kid. Um, but Legacy was the book, the business book that really got me on this like mission to like, you know, read all kinds of more books about business because that's when I first had a reason to read a book. You know, other than the Bible, I read a Bible, you know, the Bible, like as you know, a kid growing up and then I kind of put that on the shelf uh, when I was like 18, you know, because, you know, it was like a lot of us, you know, um, you know, I just kind of rebelled a little bit, right? And, you know, thought I knew it all about the Bible. And again, the Bible's a book that you can just always get more out of, right? Same thing with like a book like this. It's like you can read it again and find a little different, um, I don't know, message in it based on like where you're at in life. So talk to us about Southern LA, man. Like, uh, like talk, like what was that like? Uh, what did you do there when you got, when you got grounded there? And, I'm assuming. Yeah, came out here um, and just loved it. You know, I love the area and everything. So got out here, got my feet wet, uh, was over in Hollywood and Sherman Oaks. And was basically just trying to use all my networks to get a job. And Hollywood's probably one of the hardest industries to break in out here. Um, so it was really tough. But I ended up uh, scoring a job um, with E! Network, E! It was E! Entertainment Network, uh, G4, and Esquire. Um, the cable channels. So we, uh, we were running the cable channels, uh, both uh, the ones for America and all of the international. So yeah, that got my, my foot in the door there. Did that for a little while and then transitioned over to DirecTV and ended up running their entire SD division, which was, I don't know, probably about 300 stations at that time. So that was... That was quite a feat. Wow. <laughs> so you're like the guy, like your actual role, it seems like it's... Kind of like you're you're managing people and you're also managing like the the transfer of information to get it to like the state. I, I try explain this to like a layperson. I used to say I used to say we do everything that makes sure that you get to watch what you want at home, right? And when I say everything, I mean everything. We work with every department, whether it's promotions, whether it's sales, whether it's to make sure that everything is done beforehand. And then is also proper at the time. 
So, you know, we prepare everything, all the video content, all the commercials, all the promos, all the scheduling, all the technical stuff, all the transmission, um, just every single aspect. We're kind of like the last stop shop. Um, and so we prepare all that stuff beforehand, but then we're also responsible live when things happen. Um, so if anything was to go wrong, well, then we're also the responsible to fix it. So it's it's every step of it you could think of. <laughs> yes, yes. And I will tell you, I'm not kidding you, if I showed you a picture of where I used to work at DirecTV, I used to describe it, it looked exactly like a NASA control room. I mean, Walls of of thousands of TVs and the de I mean it looked like we were launching and we really were controlling satellites. So I mean it it, it but yeah those that's what they look like with just every technical an analyst you could think of that you need to be able to do your job. And because I mean that's got there can't be that many people in the world that know how to do that stuff. So I mean you have to you know. Right. Well, it's funny because there's there's a lot of people that will know how to do certain aspects of it, right? Like I could tell you, like you could do certain aspects, but the overall thing is so many people and so many skills that nobody can really do it from A to Z and then has the technology of multiple decades like I do. Um, right. I mean, that's the thing. So it's like... People can maybe do one part of it, but there's not a lot of it can, that can do all of it, you know, so that's where I kind of can come in and, and just can really put out any fire that that needs to be put out, but also can pre-plan everything beforehand. It's problem solving with organization. You are a very finite resource because... I know lots of like I know the, my business partner at Big Fish Contracting, Rob Toke. He's that same kind of mindset. It's like he knows how to solve problems, and he's super, super organized. And he knows how to just analyze the data. He also knows how to lead and execute, and it's uh, it, it's fun to watch. Tell me a little bit about your family. When did you? Because I know I know you love your family. So tell me a little bit about tell me a little <laughs> bit about where, the, where this this yeah. family pops up out of well, nowhere. <laughs> I mean, I said, I told you I moved here in L.A. about eight years ago. Uh, so I met my wife about six, I think, seven, six or seven. So and so actually, I guess I probably moved to L.A. about nine years ago then. So met her about six or seven. And uh, we met her in Los Angeles um, online, you know, like a lot of the kids do these days. And... Um, we, I mean, we have a funny, funny story. Um, we, we both lived in Costa Rica for a for two years. Um, one of those years overlapped even, but had nothing to do with each other. Um, and then when we look into it, we have many um, uh, friends that are in common, both here in the States and in Costa Rica. So she was able to contact them before, you know, really even getting to know me to vet me and find out. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, it, it, we did. We did. And I mean, friends that they, they seriously knew each other and hang out and had relationships. Um, 
So, you know, we started dating and went on that. Um, but one of those fun little stories was about three months into when we were dating, we had a lot of seminal stories and a lot of similar things that we did. Um, but we're both looking through Facebook together on my page and looking at certain things. And she screams and says, that's me. And so I have a picture of my wife three years before we ever met in Costa Rica. You talk about manifestation, yeah, you yeah. talk about in, the metaverse, you talk about like all this crazy stuff. That is a, that is a cool story. And now it's on now we have it for the record now. So that's good. Yeah. And it was just it was right there. They have like a their own central park there in San Jose and she's just in the background. We background were we were doing a similar passing event. Passing by like No, we, we no, we were both so so we were both working with um religious organizations and um, we were putting on this big skateboarding event in downtown for all the young kids. And I was doing all the logistics for it. And she actually ended up, she's bilingual, did all the translating for the event. So I, I have pictures of, you know, this six foot tall white lady in Costa Rica, which, you know, that's not that common in Costa Rica. That's not that common in America. So when you, exactly, exactly. So when you, when you go back through, you know, it was like it was a lot easier to pick out the six foot light white lady in, in Latin America. So, you know, but yeah, it was just serendipity moment, you know, Did she ever play for the L.A. Sparks. Was she ever in the WNBA? No, no. Yeah, no. She should do a little basketball or volleyball. But the, the fun thing is because I'm over six, two and she's six foot. Uh, our, our oldest daughter is always 99th percentile of her height. And we live here in the volleyball capital of the world. So uh, she de she definitely has a career ahead of her if she wants. <laughs> That'll be fun. I always like, it's one of the few, um, when I watch the Olympics, you know, that beach volleyball, that was always like, you know, a, f a fun yeah. thing to watch. And, and you, live, you live there at the... Uh... It's funny you say that my next door neighbor here is actually on the uh, beach volleyball Canadian women's team. So yeah, she's one of the like the gold gold medal teams, uh, my next door neighbor. But yeah, they most of the pros live here. See if Karch Karai can give your daughter some uh, some coaching. You know? Exactly, you exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you up to nowadays? Like, what are you what are you into work wise? What do you what's the future look like? Uh, Talk to me, Danger Dave. What's what's up? Well, I was blessed. Uh, six years ago, I had my first daughter went uh, on my three-month paternity leave and decided never to go back. So ended up being a stay-at-home daughter for the next four and a half years or so and uh, basically ended up uh, building and growing my wife's private practice uh, in lactation consultant. So that uh, that's been pretty successful. And did I might that need on her my here side. soon. I got I got a baby coming. I got exactly. A coming in September. Exactly. Does she do, does she do virtual? Uh, she does virtual. She does phone. She does all of them. LALactation.com. And of course, we will take care of you, my friend. All right. Yeah. Brittany's so, going to have to hook her up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. L so, literally. Going to have to get hooked up. Yeah, literally. <laughs> literally. So, yeah, she's, she, I mean, and that's, it's like, uh, she's, she's thriving and it's her passion. And it's so fun to watch her help moms and babies on the daily. So that's just amazing. Uh, but, yeah, so, you know, doing the business side of her end of that. Um, and then about 16, 18 months ago, um, switched from kind of a day trading in stocks over to this whole thing called NFTs. 
and uh, started that path. Uh, and yeah, got in that with the Gary V and the V friends, and uh, you know, just did that whole rabbit hole. Did lots and lots of research, lots and lots of education, and uh, yeah, ended up. I think it was last year in May buying my first NFT, the diamond-handed hen, a V friend. And that week bought five V friends, and uh, it was funny. You were talking about that book, uh, Legacy, and I couldn't agree more with Legacy, and that's why I bought the uh, Spectacular Hollow uh, Legendary Lemur, uh, because I do think that Legendary and Legacy are a very important thing, and I think that's something that will we'll be able to stay in the culture of America, or even the world. Um, so yeah, and then that went me down the rabbit hole of uh, NFT investing and trading and did that for the next six months of, uh, you know, day trading, flipping, holding, all kinds of things. And, you know, went from zero NFTs to over a couple hundred. And uh, then after about six months in, decided, well, I guess it's time to start my own business in this industry. So we started 5149 Studios and uh, it's a production NFT production studios company. And we are now working on our first NFT project called Foundations NFTs that will be probably out uh, sometime in 2022, uh, hopefully in August, but definitely sometime this fall. So what is that project all about and why are you doing it? Yeah, so um, I don't want to get too many details because I, you know, no, it's not just, public just yet. No, no, no. High level. But high level. Of course, Anything of course. You can share. We'd appreciate it. No, we're gonna we share a lot. The alpha. The alpha. Exactly. So um, you already heard about my passions with missions and giving back and international travel. Um, so I've always wanted to do pastoral care and missions, um, anyways. And I'm an entrepreneur, so I like to scale businesses. Um, so I've always kind of had a passion in my retirement to be able to then uh, be able to do pastoral care and to scale and help uh, be resources to people that are already established doing community development around the world, um, you know, helping individuals and groups um, instead of me going out there and, and inventing the wheel and inventing my own projects, partnering with people that are already doing it, already have inroads in the community and being able to find out what their needs are and how can we scale and multiply what they're already doing. Um, so with NFTs, I just saw a really big advantage to be able to not only fund those type of oper or those missions and operations, but also to have an entire group of people to be able to have ownership and involvement with these things, whether they end up wanting to go in life or if they just want to have opportunities online and virtual. Um, so what it'll be is basically you'll be able to buy these NFTs um, and there'll be the mint price and then the royalties um, and 51% of both the mint price and the royalties forever will be going to the nonprofits uh, of both domestic and international um, and they'll be helping Christian based projects. Um, we will then split that up into two folds. Um, half of it, 25%, will be controlled by our own nonprofit and we'll you know, distribute that in the different relationships we have. And the other 20%, 26% will actually be controlled and, and used by the community, by the NFTs. Um, so that's what will be fun is when you buy this NFT, you're actually funding charitable causes. And then you'll actually be able to have different levels of access uh, depending on what involvement you want. 
Some people will just want to you know, make this donation, get this NFT and walk away. And that'll be great what they'll be able to do. Some people will want to have more online involvement. And so they'll want to be able to use our website and be able to have constant communication uh, and ownership and direction on where the funds are going, how the funds are being used, different projects. And then they'll have that communication on how the actual, um, how it's being used and the actual um, effects of it. So you'll be able to see the actual numbers each week and each month of how the money's being used, whether it's being directed toward food and nourishment programs, or whether it's you know helping younger people or education or family dynamics, um, you'll be able to then see. Okay, well we gave you know a thousand dollars and we fed you know eight hundred children, um, and then you'll be able to see that through pictures and video, and you'll be able to have you know a, a constant communication so that you'll actually know where the money's going and how it's being used. There'll be complete transparency. Um, and then you'll actually feel like you're being involved in it because you'll actually be able to have a voice of how it's directed and how it's being used, which that'll also, as a group, you'll be able to discover new, maybe new organizations that we want to partner with. Um, and we'll be doing all kinds of things with that. Um, so there'll be three different projects. Um, we'll be doing um, Cornerstones, Capstones, and Keystones. And it'll be each of them. The first two will be growing a IP, um, a religious Christian IP, and then the third one you'll actually be able to go to these places that you'll be involved with in person if you want. So like you were saying, how we used to do like those summer trips for a week or two, you know, if you if you really got involved and you got um, um, a lot of interest with one of these organizations that we worked with. Well, maybe you want to actually go and be able to visit them in life. Um, so there's going to be all different levels of availability of how you want to be able to do that. Um, so, you know, that'll be fun. But it also a big component of it will be education. Um, so a lot of these people that will be bringing into this, this will be their first time in the, into NFTs and into Web3. So we'll be doing a lot of education on just um, on the whole process and how to do it. And it'll be come from a very trusted source so that you'll know that this education you can rely on and nobody will take advantage of you. And then after you feel confident and you've spent one, three or six months, you then could leave our project and go outside into other projects with confidence on how to navigate the space. Um, so, you know, there'll be a big education component. Um, and then lastly, there'll be an IP component because the first project um, will be 13 characters. It'll be Jesus and the 12 apostles. And then the second project will have about 100 of the biggest biblical characters. But they're all being done by our own artists in-house. Um, and it's really amazing. But then we'll be able to use all of these original artwork to be able to do anything with whether we want to do comics or stories or videos or whether we want to do video games or things online. But we can use this this IP that we created in basically any way that we want. Um, so that'll be fun considering that my background comes from television and film. And out here in Hollywood, I have a lot of networking and a lot of relationships. Um, plus the people in my atmosphere, you know, are bringing a lot to that too. So, you know, it'd be really interesting to see how we can, you know, expand that also. Wow. 
Wow, that just blew my mind. And I know you talked to me a little bit about it at VCon, and I like I got it a little bit, but now that I know more about you, your your story, I hope people at home, I I, I can connect. I'm connecting dots. I connect dots for a living. I I feel like it's like my you know gift from God that He has allowed me to like connect dots like all over the place mm. and then be able to like like I get it. You know, I get what you I get because of your unique background, and now this unique technology. Remember 20 years ago, there was that unique technology that he did something with people. <laughs> and now he's using his life experiences. Uh, he's using his travel, his 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 love of, of, of God and his the missions-minded human that he is. And the fact that he's been so blessed, I can tell. Um, and mm. he's still young. I mean, like he's like still like, you know, as <laughs> Gary would say, you know, you still got 50 years, Danger Day. <laughs> and you're going like, right? to use all this for good, you know. Mm. And, wow, it's like so inspiring. That's inspiring, brother. Like, that is like, I'm thinking like, I see what you're doing with the characters now. And you're going to be able to educate and teach, you know, people more about God and about, um, you know, what it means to be a Christian and you're going to be able to do that in a fun way. I know you because you're a fun guy. You're going to be able to do it creatively. You know, it's going to be like the new version, the high tech version of us going to Sunday school when we were little. It sounds like it is. It is. And, you know, and that's a big part of this also is, you know, there's so many people that have been hurt by the church um, that are just really, really hurt. Um, and there's a lot of people that have experiences with Christians that have a different view of Christianity than I do. Um, so I think a lot of this too is going to be able to right the wrong, a lot of these wrongs and show them a different version of Christianity than they're used to. Um, I'm now, I, I'm in a non-denominational section of, uh, Christianity. And so, uh, you know, that's just where I believe in more of the spirituality than the religion. Um, and I think that I, yeah, well, and you hit the nail on the head. That's where I was going is. I am a New Testament um, subscriber, and I am one of those people that I truly believe that, you know, Jesus died for that relationship to abolish that law so that we truly need to live in a state of non-judgment and love. Um, and, and it's a very simple thing to say, not judge anybody and love everybody. But let's just get real. Most people don't adhere to that. Um, and so that's kind of the new standard that I want to be bring out to people that either don't have much experience with, you know, Christian religion or the experience they have maybe were, you know, experiences that where people were hurt, were abused, were, you know, put down on, were made to feel lesser than, and to say, that's not what this is about. That's we're here to love everybody and to be there for everybody and to not judge anybody. And so, you know, I really think that's also a part of this project is really bring a new understanding to people of what Christianity is. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. And <laughs> I would, I feel like we're gonna have to have you back because I could definitely go down a rabbit hole with you on some of that stuff. And I think that, uh, wow, that's interesting. I have so many more questions. <laughs> They, they tell me if I go any long, too much longer than an hour, though, people start to tune out. So, like, I'm going to... We can always have uh, episode two, my friend. Oh, well, no. We're going to have to do episode two and literally deep dive about this project and also kind of, like, because, man, like, with Christianity and, 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 you know, religion, you know, religion is basically, in my estimation, 
is man-made man man's attempt to create their own kind of you know rules and patterns and like business and i got one question for you and we won't because this will maybe hook the audience into coming back to, to listen to more why is it going to be any different for da- danger dave is like the the leader or the you know the group of people that you assemble why is it going to be any different trying to go down that path rather than you know all the other stuff like so how, how do you how do you how do you tell somebody that's maybe like on the fence like you know who's Who's Dave, and why does he think, you know, he can pull this off and, and change humanity? You know, are we talking about um, religion or the project? Well, just, I don't know, like, where you're going with this. It's like you want people to be attracted to the project because you, again, okay. because I feel like we have similar, right? But, like, you know, man has been, we are guilty of following the man, right? Instead yeah. Of following Jesus and God. You hit the nail on the head there. Spirit, look, we're we're as humans, we're all um, looking for the truth, and we're all kind of searching for the truth. Um, so we're all normally on some kind of a path at some age to kind of find out what that is, um, and then we all have our own experiences to kind of you know. I I can't ever believe something because somebody told me. I can only believe something because I experienced it, and I think most people are like that. Um, so, you know, they're going to go and experience all of this. Um, so, <laughs> um, but, sorry, I got distracted. I got way distracted on that one. No, it's um, because there was a car going down. And, and yeah. yeah. And like, every time a motorcycle comes down the road, because I don't have a sound. There's a window right here. And I don't have a sound. There's another one. Um, That's wild. Sorry uh, let's, about that. let's reset. What was the question? Just so we can reset. So, like... For the people that the are difference. for the people that are listening yeah. that are you know that have been had had those negative experiences in church and religion yeah. and stuff like that, what makes this project any different? And what would you tell okay, people? Pro- what would you tell people that um, had those bad experiences gotcha. or are having great experiences right now? Like why follow well, you in this project? The number one thing that, regardless if you had good or bad experiences, is one of the major focuses that we're doing with this project. Is, is it's actually twofold um, with how the money is being spent. Um, one of the number one rules with how the money is being spent is that no organization that receives the money can in any way hurt anybody, right? Like nobody in any sexuality, color, race, religion can be persecuted or hurt for any way or, or any reason by this money. Um, because that's not we're here. We're here to love and not judge. So that's the first framework that we have to take away. And I put that in, you know, in borders so that, you know, we say, okay, we can understand that. Um, and then after that, you know, you just, it, it, it's how, it's it's the fact, sorry, I'm, I'm man, this is horrible. I am having a big brain fart on this one. This is a bad ending on this one. No, it's great. Um, man. Listen, you're just speaking from the heart. It's, it's a t- it was a tough. It was a tough question. Yeah, because the, yeah, because it's I'm, again, it's like we get because we're all we're all yeah. This is like a whole nother podcast, really. We're yeah, yes, no, it is. exactly. I'm sorry, I, I should ask that last question. That was that I was, was like my, wow. That was, that was me being like, oh my gosh, there's more here. Um, but yeah, no, there's uh, there's. 
You know, a lot of it is too, is, is right now we're in a place that United States, we are the number one giving country and we love to help others, right? But there's so much of it has gone to waste. You know, we've done, we've gone through giving to United Way and, and these big organizations. And what happens is so much of it gets wasted. So much of it goes to administration costs. And, and we actually, when you write that check, you have no idea how it's being used and what is done with it, right? Where, where people now, we want to still give, but we want to do the direct cause giving. We want to give to the end user and we want to know that it's being used appropriately, right? So that's what we're doing here is having full transparency on how all funds are being used. And then not only is it full transparency, but you actually have ownership of it. So you have direction on where it's going and even what projects it is within that. So you have ownership, you have transparency, you have involvement, and the involvement can be at any level you want, from writing a check, to checking once a week, to checking every day, to actually going there in real life. It just depends on where you wanna be. But that's the difference is, is you get to actually be involved and see how it is. Now, the difference is, is of all nonprofits, this is obviously a Christian-based nonprofit. So these are going to go to Christian organizations. But, you know, like I said, it's going to be organizations that are all fully vetted and that we are very well that the money is going to go into places that nobody's being hurt, nobody's being prosecuted or judged, and that we're truly helping all of humanity, you know, get to a better place. Well, and that's a beautiful thing. And I think that you are uniquely positioned. If anybody could pull it off, I feel like because of your history and your, because of your work and because of your reputation, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to, to watch the journey, follow it, participate. Um, and I'm just really learning about this today as everyone else is listening to it. And I know this is going to be launching later in the year, so there's be more to come. It's called 5149 Studios. It's going to be the foundation's NFT, um, and it's going to—it's really going to—it's going to be charity work and 501c3 on steroids because of the transparency and the technology of the blockchain. Mastered with the guy behind the project is got um, a passion and he's got good intentions, and everything's going to be able to be documented on the ledger, and everybody's going to be able to see where it all goes. The only downside that I see, if we're going to get technical for the naysayers out there, is maybe once it leaves the NFT world, because right now there's still a lot of organizations that aren't completely set up on the blockchain. You know, but again, as long as I always was told that as long as you give with the giving heart and once once that leaves your hand, it's, it's up to the church or it's up to the organization to be the good steward of that money. It's not up to you to like have to like micromanage it. It is. No, it's God, not. Because God, right. God, allow, God allows it to like, you know, if you're from a good heart and as transparent as you've been, was just even sharing some of the information today. And if hope, I hope my listeners at home really start to understand that don't buy any NFTs right now. Just go and just do some research, right? And understand about the technology of the transparency and, and what's 
what you're actually able to do and what he's talking about with you can own a portion of it. You'll have voting rights. You know, they'll be in a community chant. They'll build a community. They'll say, Hey, you know, do we want to give to the United way or the red cross today? And you know, how much do we want to give? And it's based on voting units and ownership and a, and a set of rules that have already been established. And I can definitely, I see where this is coming, man. I'm, I'm excited for you. So I, uh, We'll just wrap it up at that because we got to, as soon as it launches is when I'm going to have you come back on. That's when I'm going to have you come back <laughs> right. on. And if there's anything that I can do. We're going to be looking for a July. We're going to be rolling out Discord, social medias, websites. So that way we'll be able to get a lot more information. And then we'll be able to actually have a mint date and a launch date. So, yeah, I, I would expect July uh, we'll be able to have more public information on that. That's awesome. And I really appreciate being here. There's a thing I do at the end of every podcast. I ask five questions. Um, so it's kind of rapid fire. You're going to be going to, to an island to live by yourself. Okay. Uh, what book would you take with you? Uh, Purpose Driven Life. Wow. That's an awesome book, too. Yeah, Rick Warner. Rick Warren, yeah. Uh, out of uh, Atlanta? Uh, I can't even remember right now, but yeah, somewhere like that. All right. So you're going to take a movie with you that you're going to have to replay and replay and replay because you're only going to take one movie with you. What movie is it? Mr. Hollywood. <sighs> it would have to be a comedy if I got to replay it that many times. It would have to be a comedy. I'm thinking like a, like an old, uh, old school or uh, something Will Ferrell-ish or... You know, that whole crew, or maybe even Fridays-ish or Ooh, something. Oh, wow, okay, Friday. All right. my, uh, my last guest, um, who was, was on here, Alex Tampluski, um, the TikTok guy, he said uh, Dumb and Dumber, so I figured, you know. Yeah, that world, Wedding Crashers. But it'd have to be, not necessarily my favorite movie, but definitely a comedy if I got to watch it that many times. Yeah, yeah, So yeah, it was the yeah. book, the movie. All right, restaurant, you can put a restaurant there which restaurant can be famous it could be like not so famous whatever your favorite restaurant is that you could eat at you know every day it probably have to be prime 112 in miami south beach even though mastro's out here in beverly hills is a, is a close second yeah i like mastro's i like mr chow's i was actually out at beverly hills mr chow's for nftla yeah. and i took jeremy and sal and mikey and then Brittany came with me. That duck sounded oh, that amazing. Duck. Yeah, you heard about that, huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, all right, so you're allowed to take one trip. You know, you're the traveler, man. You've been all over the world. Where yep. is your favorite destination? Where are you going to go? That's easy. That is so easy. There's only one place. Bora Bora, my friend. Bora Bora. Bora. See, I got goals now, man. I, I can't. I'm excited it to be friends with you, Danger the- Dave. I'm, like you're gonna push me. Like I wanna, <laughs> I was never wanted to get on a plane and go that far away because I'm kind of a bigger guy and I, I don't know if I can stomach the first class money. Um, but I think I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to start traveling. Brittany's gonna be happy to hear that I'm gonna be friends with you because you're definitely <laughs> gonna do that. All right, and here's the big one: you're allowed to spend a day with one person. Okay, you can only pick one, and I know it's tough. But you got you have you have you have a chance to spend the day with one person. Who's it going to be? Probably my mom. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. You guys still pretty close? No, I've lost her about uh, about ten years ago. Now I think we lost her to cancer. So yeah. oh wow. 
So yeah, we'll bring yeah. her back with some of that technology, and you get to spend 24 hours with her. Wow, exactly. That's, special. <laughs> that's awesome. If people want to get in touch with you, learn more about you, what's the best way to reach out to you and follow you? You can find me, uh, Danger, on Twitter. That's D-8-N-G-E-R. Um, you can also just always look up my name, David Matheny, and that's M-A-T-H-E-N-E-Y. And then you can always look at 5149studios.com. Still in the dot com world, huh? Gonna keep it mainstream. Yeah, yeah. Need to get the IO, right? <laughs> yeah, or dot ETH, or I don't even know some there of that stuff. Hey, well, I got a danger dot ETH. I mean, I you know, if you need that. There you <laughs> go. Well, listen, I really appreciate you um joining me today on the show. I uh I'll be honest with you. I've I've probably filmed, I don't know, or to, did probably twenty five of these now, and uh, I wanna say this is probably my favorite one so far. Mm. this was really good that means so much man. I'm, ex- really I'm excited that. to hear about the journey I mean I want to ask man there's so many questions I have for you like you've had like <laughs> such a magnificent life everything you told us was so awesome and blessed and just great it's like and again we'll save it for the next show it's like what adversity have you ever had to overcome I know you just said you lost your mom to cancer but like I want to hear some like adversity to where because <laughs> it just seems like your whole life is just like you just you're you're living you're living the dream, man. Like you're living you're living the dream. So we'll uh, we'll get to know Danger Dave a little bit more. We'll have him back on the show later this fall, and uh, we'll wrap it up today, man. Thanks again for being here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. We really appreciate it. I look forward to coming back, and uh, I can't wait to do it again. Love our friendship, and uh, can't wait to uh, hang out a lot more. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Big Fish Cares podcast. It's our passion to help share stories and journeys, to help inspire optimism, to take action and accomplish your goals. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on the website at www.thebigfishcares.com. Find us on Facebook at The Big Fish Cares and on Instagram at bigfish.benny. See you next time.